welcome to our sixth episode and final episode of this year of tokenizing everything. With me today is um, lawyer Nicola Marcella. It's a pleasure to have him here today. He's an expert in the tokenization space and he will provide some great insights and in regarding the legal uh, legalities of tokenization. So before we continue, I would have to mention that everything that is mentioned today is solely based on personal opinions and does not reflect the opinion of amazing blocks, storm partners or any other involved party. So yeah, let, let's begin. Uh, thanks for being here today with me, Nicola. Pleasure to have you. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for having me here today. I'm really glad to participate. Yeah, I mean, um, it's always great to catch up. Um, we met at the European Blockchain Convention and, and um, since then, you know, a, a kind of a collaboration has been emerging between our parties. So it's great to have you on our show. And yeah, let's begin. Um, I mean, you're a lawyer, obviously. So can you tell our um, listeners a bit about how you, you kind of, um, you know, morphed into the tokenization space or got into the tokenization space as a lawyer? What was your experience there and, and what led to this decision? Yeah, so I started my experience with blockchain and DLT uh, during university. Basically, uh, my primary matter is financial markets law. And from the very beginning, I noticed the, the potential and, and also this phenomena regarding ICO. It was really kind of entering the, the financial markets law, but it at that period in 2016 was completely unregulated and was also a kind of enigma for regulators because they didn't really understand what was the the technology behind and also the movement behind it also bitcoin was uh, was seen with kind of like suspicious instead right now uh, as you all know <laughs> there are institutional investors entering uh, in the market uh, so I started from this approach that was financial markets law and started to see uh, how the, this phenomenon was evolving. And in the end, I, I, I'm quite glad about the most recent developments because uh, the, all these uh, crypto asset phenomena is moving toward compliance and so toward security token offerings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's um, um, exactly what you mentioned is happening. I mean... Um, we need compliance in the space to, to onboard, uh, or, you know, the traditional world of finance, onboard the legal system to the blockchain space in general. So, so what uh, to you, you know, there's always like, or to a lot of people in the blockchain space in general, there's a moment that defines basically their path to, to fully go all in on this space. Was there like a moment, like a wow experience for you? That's something I always ask my guests that it really made you convinced, okay, hey, this is something I don't just want to do legal uh, lawyer stuff. Like uh, most lawyers, I want to try something new. I want to try something innovative. What, was there like something where you realized, okay, this, this has the potential to disrupt, you know, the legal aspects, the tech aspects in the financial sector? Yeah. So actually, I, when I was in university and starting to get interested into the, the space, I entered the blockchain education network, the Italian section. And there was this uh, event they organized with the guys from Seed Venture, which is a, an Italian project, but now based in London. And this is a tokenization platform for basically startups and incubators, accelerators, for, so really for the financing of, of new business, of new, of new initiatives, and is fully decentralized. And there I've seen really the kind of revolution from the world that was coming from, which was kind of traditional financial market law, in which basically in order to have access to the real market, so to the trading venue, 
the stock market, you have to be a bank and quite a big one, actually. Uh, this intermediation there is not known, basically. And these, uh, I really see uh, DLT and blockchain as a possibility for the democratization of the access to capital markets and indeed a, a democratization of capital markets itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sense. I mean, it's, it's a great point there that you mentioned. I mean, financial inclusion is really something that, um, you know, the blockchain as a technology as a whole can can bring, you know, to the financial sector and to kind of, you know, decentralize the space that is, is quite centralized as of now. So it's always great to see, you know, I mean, there's not too many lawyers right now that, that focus that much. So it's great to see pioneers like you um, and having you join us. So also something interesting, you recently joined Storm Partners. Um, I, if I remember yeah. correctly, before that, you were at an established law firm in Italy. And now you joined Storm Partners. Can you tell our listeners a bit what led to this decision to join Storm Partners and also maybe give a brief intro about what Storm Partners is? Yeah, sure. So I was in a kind of traditional law firm doing uh, international trade law, corporate law. Uh, I I liked that job, but was not really stimulating from from this side. As I said, I I really have a belief in the future of the LT and blockchain. And so this this opportunity came up. uh, This is a new agency providing uh, solutions for blockchain and crypto asset industries and initiatives uh, in, a, in a general sense, let's say. So we have different departments. I've, I'm, of course, entitled in the, in the legal department, but we have also marketing, PR, business development. And basically, we assist uh, tokenization project as well as other uh, businesses operating in, in this space, uh, providing different kind of, of services thanks to our kind of... Uh, differentiated team of specialists mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's crucial in the space to kind of you know you know tap into every direction and, and kind of cover every aspect because there's just such an educational gap if, whether it's finance tech or law that that needs to be closed so it's, it's great to see people um or organizations like yours to to kind of you know kind of cover all in one solution and um, i think you have an auspicious future there so, um, yeah, let's, let's dive right into the topic of tokenization. I mean, from a regulatory and legal point, you're, you're the true expert here. So maybe you can give our listeners a brief overview to you from a legal perspective. What are the pain points that are currently still harming, you know, the emergence of a true token economy in our, you know, in the European space, maybe, and then also in, in the international space when compared to, you know, US or China? Yeah, so let's start from a brief history of it, because uh, now there has been kind of a lot of years in the in this space of some regulations, law coming up from the very beginning, from 2014, the Financial Action Tax Force uh, entered uh, with some opinions on what they were called virtual currencies at the time, uh, saying that there was a huge risk for money laundering and terrorist financing. So the first approach of the worldwide regulators was in the matter of anti-money laundering and KYC, know your clients, policies and obligations. And indeed, currently right now, the European law is focusing only on this. So wallet providers and exchange uh, platforms, they have to acquire this information, which in the end is the same information that 
banks need to acquire on their clients or basically money service providers. Uh, but what is developing right now is uh, a much more complicated and sophisticated regulation, uh, which entails basically the possibility of tokenized assets. Uh, one of the first countries to issue a regulation in this sense has been Liechtenstein, uh, with actually, in my opinion, a quite good regulation, because uh, there is no a really deep description of uh, blockchain or DLT technology, uh, but there is a kind of really clear and established uh, framework for the tokenization of assets. For example, every kind of assets from shares, bonds to also physical assets. And in my opinion, it makes quite clear the, how to move uh, if you want to, to tokenize something there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great that you mentioned Liechtenstein. Uh, and so I'm, I'm happy to hear, you know, a little extra, like you also mentioned it, um, because you're really proud of leveraging the solution there. So do you think the Liechtenstein solution will be kind of, um, you know, a role model for the EU as a whole? Or do you think that the EU will implement their own laws? What, do you, what is your take on that? Uh, it's, dif it's difficult to say this. So basically right now, the European Commission published the digital finance package, which uh, includes two proposals of regulation in, uh, in this matter. The first one is for the markets in crypto assets and actually regulates all those crypto assets which are not uh, securities, which in, uh, in European law is uh, financial instruments. And then there is another regulation which uh, provides for a pilot regime uh, regarding uh, trading venues that, uh, or market infrastructure in a, in a wider sense that want to use uh, DLT for their operating uh, activities. Uh, in my opinion, actually, the really interesting proposal is the second one because it allows uh, trading venues and usual existing stock markets to use uh, distributed ledger technology. And so, in my opinion, is really near uh, a future in which I found a company with uh, the Schroeder book, which is uh, recorded on a distributed ledger. And then basically all my shares are, uh, are tokens. And from the very beginning, from equity crowdfunding or any other form of fundraising, I decide to, to jump in. I can basically only sell tokens. And then in the end, these tokens will be traded on uh, trading venues, traditional trading venues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's great that you mentioned that um, most people don't really understand or know that there's actually two proposal and not just one so um, it's great that you give our listeners yeah. this insight yeah, yeah I've, I've seen that everybody's kind of talking only about the, the first one which mm -hmm. i mean is of course a, an interesting regulation don't, don't, I, i'm not saying it but i think that uh, the most important part of, of tokenization is the tokenization of securities mm -hmm. yeah no i fully agree it, this will be what actually you know fosters mainstream adoption um for the traditional sector of course there's a lot of pioneers you know trading with cryptocurrencies getting into the space but what's really going to you know help our you know financial sector go all in on the blockchain space is actually what you mentioned correctly the tokenization of true real world use cases um also so anyway, like, just yeah? me, let me add one thing mm -hmm. uh I, I do not think that uh 
cryptocurrencies are not important. But I think yeah. that, for example, Bitcoin, it does not require regulation, also because yeah. regulation can do really a little about Bitcoin. So regulation is needed in, in other parts and in other possible applications of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. Uh, so let's regulate what needs regulation and mm -hmm. let's what it doesn't need a regulation to be free. Yeah, I mean, that that is the core principle of blockchain anyway, the, the decentralized aspect, you know, even the privacy aspect, so to say. And, and I think there will be a lot of challenges in the future and also, you know, kind of morphing or merging, you know, for instance, the DeFi space with this more or less KYC-less with the tokenized asset space. Um, so, yeah, let, let's talk a bit more about regulation in Europe, though. You mentioned Liechtenstein, obviously, as a great jurisdiction. Another great jurisdiction um, that is very forward-thinking is Switzerland. Um, yeah. Can you give um, us a bit more insights on regarding how these two jur jurisdictions compare about, um, to each other, maybe um, the differences on the one hand, but also how they complement each other and how these jurisdictions can be combined for fostering the token economy? Yeah, so Switzerland is my own jurisdiction, let's say, as, a, as I'm banned in Switzerland. Uh, in this regard, we have to really understand that the Liechtenstein approach and the Swiss approach are really different. Uh, the, in, in Switzerland, the Financial Conduct Authority issued uh, some guidelines regarding ICOs without a legislation of it, uh, basically introducing these uh, three categories, division of uh, payment tokens, uh, utility tokens, and security tokens, in order to give some certainty to all the ICOs that were happening in Switzerland in the last years. And so we actually with these uh, kind of short guidelines, they succeeded in uh, building up a kind of uh, trustable and certain regulatory framework for the issuance of tokens. Uh, right now, they are moving forward on a, on, a, on a legislation regarding the implementation of distributed ledger technology into Swiss law with an approach which, again, is totally different from Liechtenstein because they are uh, basically changing the civil code, the code of obligations, and every uh, concerning Swiss law in this regard. Uh, introducing the possibility of having DLT-based uh, digital assets e everywhere in the mm -hmm. uh, in the Swiss law. So, for example, in this new law, there is the possibility to have uh, the shareholder book uh, on a distributed ledger. And so, yeah, you can found uh, you can found a company with uh, the shares with, that are uh, us that are digital assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's an interesting point that, that you mentioned. Um, so one one thing that that is always a, a topic in the tokenization space, and we see it also from ourselves, is is passporting, for instance. Yeah. Um, so so you know, can you tell us a bit more about passporting in in terms of these different yeah. jurisdictions and how there may be issues, but what is also possible in this? Uh, in this this regard? is really the the my opinion, the complementing of Swiss and Liechtenstein mm -hmm. uh, jurisdiction because in Switzerland is outside the European Union. It has nothing to do with the European Union. You can do your ICO there, but then if this ICO in the offering, there are security. So if it's a security token offerings and you want to expand it through all across Europe, basically it's kind of complicated. But if you do it in, in Liechtenstein, then you can uh, go to the Liechtenstein Financial Conduct Authority, get the approval there, and then use 
the passporting rule provided for in the prospective uh, regulation, in the European prospectus regulation, and go basically in a much easier way to the other financial conduct authorities of European member states to get the, their approval. Why? Because Liechtenstein, different from Switzerland, is part of the European economic area. So is not a member state of the European Union, but still some European regulations applies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Liechtenstein basically acts as a bridge between these two worlds, I would say, yeah. right? Um, kind of, you know, enabling also Swiss projects to be, you know, um, passported throughout the EU. So that's a great use case. Um, another, um, obviously, country um, in the DAC region that is uh, making some move lately is um, Germany, which um, just the other day actually um, made it legal to allow electronic securities to be recorded using blockchain. Can you tell our um, listeners a bit what's your take on this this move, you know, by the German government? And do you think that they will kind of, you know, have a pioneer approach there, or are they kind of just following other jurisdictions? Um, like, what is your take on this? In my opinion, is really similar to what Switzerland is doing. So mm -hmm. they are introducing in the kind of normal law, let's say, the possibility mm -hmm. of, of having uh, tokenized assets. In my opinion, is a really smart move. I think that really all European countries would add in their law the possibility of having assets recorded on a distributed ledger. And of course, it, it makes much more easier <laughs> to have the, the offering of these tokens, because in, in the end, you have really a lot of legal uncertainty regarding the fact that these shares are actually shares. Uh, the laws provide for this form of shares. So, From a legal, the legal point of view, a token representing a share with these kind of laws is a share. Mm -hmm. the, the token is only the digital form of the of this share. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that there's there's a lot of differentiation that needs to be made here, whether it's a digital twin or not, and so on. Yeah. So there's a lot of legal hurdles that are there still obviously present that we need to solve. But it's great to see jurisdictions, you know, taking a pioneer project and, and trying to be yeah. or stay disruptive yeah. and innovative yeah also one thing to add so mm -hmm. this is a kind of simple explanation in the end as a lawyer i must say that you always have to really check the the proper law go through the text mm -hmm. to see what's really is providing for because uh there could be some slightly differences that actually are not so little when it comes to, to the concrete. So in my opinion, yeah, the principle is good. Then you have to see what the, the real text is and how to, to like is implemented. Yeah, you basically have to deep dive into the law of it yeah. more, you know, like Always. back in the universities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely see this. So let's let's continue a bit with use cases for tokenization. Um, what do you generally are, you know, the best use cases? I mean, on the one hand, sure, you can tokenize company shares, but on the other hand, you can tokenize any type of illiquid asset. So what to you are maybe the most auspicious use cases on the one hand, and on the other hand, from a legal standpoint, maybe the most difficult use cases to implement uh, with compliance? Yeah, for example, uh, actually, I have a really good example, the example of the bill of lading. Mm -hmm. uh, because my previous law firm, uh, Zunarelli and Associates, is a, is a major law firm in Italy for global trade. And so we every day we were facing uh, issues and problems regarding global trade. Global trade and the bill of lading is a 
in the global trade is probably the main document. It's a document of title. So basically, it's a document uh, with, with uh, you can go in, a, in the port in which the ship is arriving and claim the goods on the ship. So if you have this document in your hand, you can claim the goods. But it's a paper document. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a digital world, you have to ship by post these documents from one place to another in the world. And they can lose it. It happened to me. Mm-hmm. It happened to me once uh, to to handle this case in which uh, was kind of weird and also hard to to solve it because the the ship was in the sea, mm-hmm. uh, was traveling, and you have no bill of lading in order to claim the goods. Mm-hmm. And also, this document is related to the letter of credit, the banking, and all the like subject involved uh, in, in global trade. And it's not really possible, in my opinion, in this digitalized world to continue to operate with a, with a paper document. It, it yeah. even doesn't make sense and uh, is, a, is a burden on global trade operators. So the, regarding the electronic bill of ladings, uh, much attempts have been done. But the thing is that global trade, it relates uh, as, from a regulatory point of view to international law. So we have some international conventions on it. And of course, the international conventions that are now into force, they're old. <laughs> they do not provide for electronic documents. The new Rotterdam rules, they actually provide for, the, for electronic documents, for the electronic bill of lading, but they are not into force because a lot of, sta- of countries, they didn't uh, ratify, ratify the, the Rotterdam rules. So we need uh, <laughs> basically a, some developments on the legal side in order to, to apply DLT in global trade. And in my opinion, global trade would be a perfect use case. Mm-hmm. So basically, like an international law needs to be in place to, to be able to seamlessly and efficiently manage you know, the compliance aspect and, and other aspects regarding the bill of lading. Yeah. So regarding, um, aside from the bill of lading, which I know that you're currently writing an article on, right? So, so yeah. I guess um, our listeners um, can look forward to this. Um, I will also from Amazing Boxside um, add a little part about the technological aspect. So um, stay tuned regarding this. Um, what are other use cases that you see as, as quite interesting, apart from traditional company shares and the bill of lading, of course, which I think is, is making you an pioneer, pioneer, double pioneer, basically, in the uh, tokenization space, your pioneer from the legal side, but then also I, I think you're the only person I have heard talking about the tokenizing the bill of lading. So it's definitely very interesting. And I uh, everybody I'm not the only one, but we are a few. Yeah, so. but I mean, for, for people that are not familiar with it, um, so anyway, apart from this, um, are there any other use cases yeah. that you see as, as quite interesting and what to you are they? Actually, there are a lot, but I, for a matter of time, I would cite only a few of them. So in my opinion, mm-hmm. the tokenization of equity crowdfunding campaign could be really interesting because now equity, equity crowdfunding, I love it, equity crowdfunding, because a startup can raise funds from the crowd, so from people uh, and not only from venture capital or angel investors or this kind of work. Uh, but right now, for the investor to invest in an equity crowdfunding campaign, it's really a matter of faith, let's say, mm. because basically you put this money inside the company and for five years or six years, you are not able to have any return. Uh, only maybe if the company is acquired by, by a bigger one, 
Otherwise, you have to wait that the company uh, basically becomes public and goes onto, on a stock exchange, uh, get listed, basically. So if you tokenize this equity crowdfunding campaign, what you actually receive is tokens representing your participation in the company, so your shares. And then, of course, you can trade those shares. And I mean, could be risky in the beginning, but in the end, you give the possibility to investor to make a more liquid inv investment. And so also to be free to, to liquidate the investment if they need it. And in my opinion, in the end, it will uh, enlarge the market for equity crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect use case. Basically, with, with the right platform, with just a few clicks, so to say, you can... I go to the KYC, uh, you know, onboard the investors and, and then just issue the tokens. Yeah. So I definitely see your vision there. So last but not least, something that I always like to to ask, you know, my guests, which which obviously you cannot give a, give a definite answer to, especially as a lawyer, but it's still interesting to give get the different perspectives on this. Um, just out of the blue, where do you see blockchain and tokenization, you know, in 10 years from now? In the stock market. In the I, yeah, I, in 10 years, in my opinion, the stock exchange, they will operate uh, through DLT technology because it is a, is a better technology. But I, I'm not saying it. The European Securities and Market Authorities in 2017, I guess, I don't remember specifically, but they published a, a really good paper illustrating the benefits in a matter of a settlement, clearing, uh, transparency, It's basically a superior technology for mm -hmm. the purposes of uh, of stock market and capital markets, and also it could allow really a, a a new path for fundraising for companies from the very early phase to the to the stock market, so to the public phase, so from small companies to really big corporations. Uh, you can start and live this life with your uh, shareholder book tokenized and your shares that are tokens and you can issue new ones according to the corporate law but in the end you use the same technology and you can go from 10 shareholders to 10,000 or 1 million yeah yeah i think it, it it will be much easier to scale your business yeah so this was a, a great finish there um nicola um so i wish you a pleasant um evening i wish you a great christmas especially stay healthy i see your beautiful christmas tree there in the background so yeah. you're already in the christmas vibe that's great i'm so, really yeah. in the christmas mood we, we need it this year yeah definitely at christmas at least we all are used to staying home so i guess a bit of normality yeah. is coming back yeah so yeah, it was great to have you here today and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon regarding the article and, and Storm Partners. So yeah, enjoy the rest of your day and um, see you soon. Thank you very much for, for having me here for hosting this event. I think that uh, it's really useful for people in this environment to, to have these discussions and also to spread some information on this regard. In particular with legal matters, guys, don't, don't be afraid of legal matters. You, you need it and actually it's, it's not so bad. Yeah, that I fully agree with you, especially when it's uh, pioneers like you that kind of, you know, address these legal matters. So, yeah, to every listener, um, thank you for, for watching or listening to today's podcast slash interview. 
Um, as well, I wish you all a Merry Christmas. Uh, we will be back in January on the 8th with an amazing block special with a couple of team members on board that will kind of, you know, pass review regarding the first couple of months of amazing blocks and the development. So stay tuned for this. Um, I wish you all Merry Christmas, stay healthy and don't forget to subscribe and um, see you in the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much.